0: chapter 3, verses 31 through 35 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and we'll get going into it here shortly. You know, I I thought it would be worthwhile to point out one of the most amazing creations of God that sometimes we don't think of as a creation of God. It's the concept of the family. You, You think like your role as a family member and your own flesh and blood family, that was a concept thought up by God from the beginning. There was Adam and Eve, and they were told, commanded to be fruitful and multiply, and they had children, and from that point on, there were not only husbands and wives, but mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, the family unit happened, and what bigger blessing is there in our life, other than the concept of this family that we get to be a part of? Like, I feel like my family makes me feel like the the wealthiest person on the planet. I have a wife and three sons. Like, I feel so blessed by this concept of a family in my own life. It's it's the best thing in my life. And everybody understands the importance of family. Everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what your family experience has been like. Maybe you grew up in a broken home or uh, something like that, or a difficult situation, a dysfunctional family. I, I did too. But even if you grow up in those situations Maybe, perhaps even especially, you understand how valuable uh, the, the concept of a family can be. I mean, I, I think all of us, were, were born with this innate understanding of the concept and the role family plays in our life and how, if it's functioning properly, you can live life to the fullest. But like I said, if you, bro- if you grew up in that broken home or you're in a broken home right now, you understand The importance of having that functioning properly, right? You you hear people grow up and they'll say things like, um, you know, hey, I got daddy issues. I got I got mommy issues, or I have abandonment issues, you know, because we we know immediately, like when, when we deal with kind of the ways in which we get messed up and and damaged and scarred by some of these dysfunctional family dynamics, right? We we just know the value that we should place on family. Because we know that when, when family is firing on all cylinders, again, it's, it's the biggest blessing in our life. It's the most concrete thing we can have. The concept of family is such a powerful, powerful thing. Now, with all that said and why I bring that up is that the passage we're going to read today, knowing how valuable family is, the passage we're reading today, it's, it's offensive it's offensive, but yet it's simultaneously instructive. So I want to talk about the concept before we get into the, the context before we get into that passage. Remember, we're in chapter three. What has just happened? Well, Jesus' ministry is becoming wildly popular, and his own flesh and blood family has just intervened. It's intervention time for his family. His own family had traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum to intervene and to to have a family intervention moment with Jesus because they're concerned about him. They literally want to seize him or the word could also be translated arrest. They want to arrest him, they want to grab him, snatch him up and take him back home where it's safe because that's our family. Uh, have you ever participated in a family intervention moment as a pastor uh, for whatever, 20 years now, or, wh- or however long it's been. Like, I've been in several of those moments. I don't think there are any moments any more awkward than family intervention time. Hey, we're, we're having a family intervention pastor, we need you to come in and sit down. And I'm like, oh, yay, awesome, let's do that. <laughs> they can be such, so agonizing, so awkward, and sometimes really, really ugly, embarrassing. But your family is willing to do that unlike any other people group perhaps in your whole life when they're firing on all cylinders, because they love you. They'll go to extremes for you. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers, the younger half-brothers of Jesus, they've reached this point of concern. They started saying, he's out of his mind. We gotta go get Jesus. Why do they think he's out of his mind? Well, because again, his ministry had gained so much attention that it's gotten bad attention as much as it has gotten good attention. It's gotten the attention of people that can and will make his life difficult, and they're concerned about that. They're like, hey, listen, you, you got so many people attracted to your ministry right now, just the crowds alone are dangerous. We, we're talking about tens of thousands of people gathering around, swarming around Jesus, tearing up places that he's doing ministry in to get to Jesus. they He's gaining the attention of even the Herodians, right, the aristocrats, the, the nobles, the elite, the people who can, who can make decisions that can make your life hard. And his family is concerned about that. Man, the Herodians are even talking about you, Jesus. Are you out of your mind? The Pharisees, they're, even they, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are talking bad about you. They're, they're teaching about you in a way that is not reflecting well. Upon you, and so they just want—they just want to grab their family member, Jesus, and and take him back home. This is intervention time. And so Jesus, though, has his family has traveled to come seize him, he's in the midst of doing what he's been doing from from the get go in his ministry. He's teaching, and he says something in this moment as, his, as his, he knows his family is there to come intervene and and to confront him. But he he's teaching in the moment, and he teaches. What this moment should teach us all. And so here's what he has to say about that situation. A very offensive teaching, but yet incredibly instructive teaching here. In Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35, it says this. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Again, when I read that and I think about those dynamics, I can't help it. My first inclination is to be offended. What? Your, Your mom, that's your mom. That's your mom, Jesus. Like. She's called, your younger half-brothers, they've come to, they love you. They're here because they love you. Is is this Jesus disrespecting his own flesh and blood family? Is this Jesus shirking his responsibilities to his mom and his brothers and just kind of kicking his family to the curb because it's convenient? I mean, if you think about it, I I think this statement would have even been, have been more offensive than than it is right now. Certainly, family is important to us right now, and, and, and we understand the offensiveness of, of something like this. But back then, I, I I think this would have been even more shocking because your family was your lifeline to be to, to being provided for. It was the difference of being provided for or not being provided for. At least orphans and widows today have a fighting chance with all the government programs and, and churches and different things, you know, reaching out and trying to provide for them. But and this day, like, you got the, the widow, Mary, and, and her children, uh, younger half-brothers and siblings of Jesus. Like, man, you, you wouldn't have a fighting chance without family in that day for sure. And so I, I think it's important, though, as you start to dissect in uh, this, this passage that this is definitely not Jesus shirking his responsibilities as a son and as a brother. And I think we can prove that with several different uh, portions of scripture. Remember, anytime you you get to a question like that or or start to have a a thought like that, consider the whole counsel of scripture. What do we know to be true in scripture about Jesus and his own flesh and blood family? Well, we know that his younger half-brother James would go on to be the leader of the Jerusalem church, so evidently he didn't abandon him. James went on to write one of the New Testament letters, the book of James, so we know that they Still had a good uh, relationship. That, that relationship uh, really benefited James. We know also that even when we see Jesus in, in Scripture dying on the cross, one of the last things that he does before his death with his dying breaths, he, he's talking to his disciple John who is next to his mother Mary. And what does he say? Like, hey, this is your son, this is your mother. In other words, he was saying to, with his dying breath to John, you are responsible to take care of my mom. This is your son. He, he, he's going to take care of you, mom. So we know he's he is very wrapped up in providing for his mom. And, of course, we know other places in Scripture, like, for example, 1 Timothy 5, uh, Paul says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, flesh and blood relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul will just straight out trash you if you don't take care of your flesh and blood family. And so, Scripture teaches we don't kick our family to the curb. Scripture shows us that Jesus did not abandon his family. He's a great example on how to love your flesh and blood family. The notion of blood is thicker than water. I think that can hold true in, in Scripture, but it's also true that the gospel can divide a family. That's also true in Scripture. But the point of this teaching here, just I mention all that so we don't get distracted, but the point of this teaching here, what Jesus is, is really want us to, wanting us to grasp a hold of, I believe, is that when you are in the kingdom of God, your family has expanded, right? You have more relatives than what you might realize. Like the blood of Christ connects us to other people around the planet Earth, and so We are part of another family, right, an eternal family, the family of God. And so there is a sense in which we have brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers all over this planet. And in this room especially, we should feel that in this room, amongst this community, we should feel that more so than anywhere else. Our our family has extended, expanded. And so... You know, there's, I think there's times in which we're reading in Scripture, and, and we're, we're trying to uh, apply a concept that we read in Scripture, and we're like, man, how do I apply this to my life? And then there's moments like this, where, where we're like, how do, I, how do I not know how to apply this to my life, right? Everybody understands how a family is supposed to work, and that's what makes this teaching so incredibly relevant. We know how to apply what Jesus is teaching right here because we have this built-in understanding of what family is supposed to be. And so when we become a believer, when we put our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a new understanding happens. When we are a new creation, we have a new understanding that we have a new family to be aware of and to feel responsible for and to be a part of and participate in. And so if you shirk your responsibilities of your own flesh and blood, you're worse than a non-believer. So what happens if you shirk your responsibilities with our spiritual family? Maybe we need to ask ourselves at that point, well, am I a believer? You know, the parallels, I think, are endless. When I was crafting this sermon and thinking about the parallels between your your flesh and blood family and your spiritual family and how one teaches you about the other, we could go on and on and on. I feel like I could could have written several more sermons talking about those parallels and, and how we feel those responsibilities. But I did want to boil it down to a few today to discuss. One is... You ever think about this like how do you how, how can you tell when you're related to people? Well, you, when you think of you know physical the physical similarities, right? The the resemblance. A lot of times you can just tell who's related to who based on what they look like. You bear resemblance, your personality, you know, your nose, <laughs> things like that. I recently just did a 23andMe DNA profile. Have you done one of these? Or, or There's several different companies, right? And so Amanda did one a few years back and uh, she gets the results and she's she was so excited and she's like, oh wow, I'm the whitest white girl in the whole world. <laughs> like that wasn't that interesting. <laughs> and she says, well you... Your family's a little different mine. You should do one so we can we can see some uh, you know a little more colorful results. Because my, my grandpa is Spanish, and so it, so we I was like, well, it's just going to tell us what we already know, right? Sure enough, I, I do my 23andMe. We get the DNA results back, and you know I'm 22% Spanish, and my mom is my mom did it. She's 45% because my my grandpa's full, full Spanish. <laughs> but it is interesting, though, like when you, when you talk about bearing a resemblance to one another, now we even do that on paper, right? We get these DNA results, and we can literally look at the resemblance. And so I, I've always gotten a kick out of seeing my extended family on my grandpa's side that uh, primarily lives in Texas and in the Corpus Christi in that area. But when I have visited that family or they come to visit, I'm like, man, you wouldn't need DNA results to know they're related to my grandpa. I'm like, they, they all look like him, they all sound like him, got the same accent, and they're all super loud. Like, you get a bunch, they're Caballeros, that's my mom's maiden name. And so you get a bunch of Caballeros in the room, and it's so loud you can't even think. <laughs> and then you get tequila in the mix, and it gets even louder, and you don't know what's happening. But, you know, it, it's funny, though, the physical resemblance that we can bear to one another. Even, even, even like different genders, like you look in this room, you, know, you look at Ben and Jane Reinhardt and Reinhardt and it's funny. You look at you know, Valerie and Jackson Lowe, it's funny. Their faces look just like each other. Or you look at Chris and Kaelin Morris, you know, Jack and Jennifer Oden. You can go on and on and on and, and like when you see someone's child and, and, they're, and they look so much alike, you're like, wow, the physical traits are pretty obvious. So what about our spiritual resemblance? This is such a great parallel to consider. Sometimes it's really easy to tell who's related to who, but how do we tell spiritually who we're related to? We should be able to identify, certainly within this community, who we're related to spiritually, but what about when we're just out and about? What about when we're traveling? How do we we recognize the family of God? Well, Jesus teaches us in this passage he says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Our spiritual resemblance is rooted in the righteousness of God. In the family of God, we, have, we live with a deep care for the will of God. We're trying to honor God. We're trying to honor his word that informs that will that we are to live out. So a great question If you are welcoming conviction in your life this morning, here's a great question to ask yourself. Do I bear any family resemblance to the household of God? Right? Are you identifiable? And, of course, we find this teaching all over Scripture. You know, we can... When we look at our lives, how how we're living, that's how people should be able to recognize us. And this is what is taught to us all over the New Testament. Look at Philippians chapter 2. I'll read to you what Paul says. He said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's what family does. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. That's how a healthy family functions. He goes on to say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so it's this pursuit of Christ, this pursuit of his righteousness, that manifests in a life of righteousness and that, that is what makes us identifiable. It's what causes those similarities amongst Christians around the globe. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Be imitators of me as I am, as I am of Christ. So let's keep, let's keep asking ourselves hard questions. Maybe you could ask yourself this question right now. If someone were to imitate me, if someone were to imitate the Christ-likeness in my life, what material would they have to work with? Can, do you have the guts to ask yourself a question like that? 1 John 2, 4-6, John, he just comes up, this is the uh, uh, disciple John, he was there at the foot of the cross. In his epistle he says, Whoever says I know him, speaking of Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's the only thing that makes sense. And it's what it means to be a part of the family of God. And it's what Jesus commanded us to do. He says in, in, in the Gospel of John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Imitate me, he's saying to them. This isn't just some broad statement that everybody should love everybody all the time. This is a specific statement, a specific command to a specific people. He's saying to his disciples, you guys need to love each other like I have loved you. That's how people are going to tell you're one of my disciples. I mean, Jesus died for his church. He died for his church. That's our example. So what are you doing? for the church he died for? As you imitate him, how are you living sacrificially for his church? Again, if you're welcoming conviction into your life, if you're pursuing repentance as we all should as believers, these are the questions we need to continuously ask ourselves. Like if you don't feel the sacrifice whenever you're a part of the church community, you're, you're not getting the family experience you were meant to get. You need to feel that sacrifice, right? This is never going to quite feel like family time until you really feel that sacrifice for this family. When you think about your physical family, right, we sacrifice for them, like it's like second nature. It's instinctive to sacrifice for your own family. We don't have to enjoy it, but we when we feel that sacrifice and we feel that responsibility and live that out, that's what makes that feel real that's what family feels like we know that right so when, when my boys are younger and I'm changing their diaper I'm not doing that for fun I'm doing that because it's my role when I'm cleaning up puke in the middle of the night I'm like boy I'm having a great time being a dad I, I remember one time uh, one of the boys went to a birthday party and there was it was it was a Pokemon. Uh, themed birthday party, and there was red cupcakes, Pokemon. There were the Pokeballs. He, one of the boys, they eat way too many of those cupcakes. Sure enough, 2:30 a.m. I heard, I hear the moaning and groaning. I'm like, oh no! And there's red food coloring all over the white carpet. so <laughs> you, parents of all, you've been there. Like I know you've, been, you have the same exact story. At 2:30 in the morning, cleaning up red cupcake off, you know, puke off the, the ground, you know, I'm, I'm shampooing the carpet at 2.30 thinking, boy, I just love being a dad, being a dad's so great, biggest blessing in my life, being a dad. But that's my place. That's my family, so that is my place to clean that puke up. That's my role as a father, that's my role as a husband, and I'm not going to shirk my responsibilities as a father and a husband. You want to feel like a dad? you got to have a moment like that. That makes you really feel like you're feeling the dad (laughs) in those moments, right? Well, I I believe this, uh, this teaching is radically clear. We need to be having those thoughts and those moments amongst our spiritual family, right? We need to apply that same exact logic that we know helps us to experience what it means to be a part of a family to our spiritual family. Each and every one of you has a role to play in this family specifically. We mean this on a, on a lot of levels. We, need, we mean this, you know, as far, as far as being a part of the kingdom of God on this planet Earth. But we mean this right here. You have a role. If this is your church, if you're like, this is my church family, you have a role here. If you don't fulfill that role, someone's going to feel that neglect. And when you do fulfill that role, someone's going to feel that support. And, you know, when you participate in the family of God and someone else doesn't fulfill their duties as a part of that family of God, you can feel that neglect or you can feel that blessing. And we all feel all of those things in our physical families. Well, of course, we're going to feel those things in our spiritual family. But if you're going to feel like family here, you got to feel the sacrifice. And if you don't feel the sacrifice, you'll never have the opportunity to have this feel like family. You'll always feel, if you don't if you don't feel the sacrifice, this will only ever feel like a place that you're a guest at and you're being hosted. And we want to be a good host when people are visiting, when we have company. We want to be good hosts. We want to care for people. We want to make sure they feel welcome. It's a blessing and a privilege to be able to serve them in some way. We want to be a good host but i i want you to feel something more than that i want you to feel like part of the family and if you want to feel like part of the family you got to get your hands dirty and sacrifice for the family of god that's the only way that happens you know it's like when i go home to you've you've heard me use this example before when i go home to indiana to visit my extended family when i'm there i'm not being waited on hand and foot like a guest because That's my family. When I go to my mom's house, I'll take out the trash because that's my mom. That's my family. I don't wait for her to do that for me. Right? When I stay at Amanda's family's house, which is where we typically stay, right, I'll do laundry and help with chores or whatever it may be because even though I don't live there, that's my family. I have a responsibility to clean up after my family while we're there. So you need to feel that sacrifice for this to really feel like family. You know, I've talked to several pastors, and I talked to one even this week locally who has a church here in town. And every pastor has the same story right now. Boy, we just don't feel like we've fully recovered since this pandemic. And I'm like, yep. You know, do you? That's one of the first questions you get from, from I, I try never to ask this when I talk to another pastor, but inevitably other pastors will ask you, do you have as many people coming to your church now as you did before the pandemic? You know, and, and, and we'll talk about that and what, what that has looked like. And well, I don't think anybody has. It's just, it's different. Things, things happened. We felt disconnected over that pandemic and we're still recovering. Some people stopped going to church in the pandemic and they never went back. They still aren't going, they're still not going today. And so, and when people leave your church, and, and every single pastor has heard this statement, I think in every single church that I've talked to, they'll, they'll say, well, you'll have somebody leave your church, and they'll say, you know, we just feel disconnected. And that's like nails on a chalkboard to a pastor, because you're just like, oh, yeah, that's because we're disconnected. What do you mean? <laughs> like, me too. I feel disconnected too. It's because we, we, we haven't spent as much time together. The more time you spend with your family, the more connected you're going to feel. The more time that goes by and you don't spend time with, with your family, the more disconnected you're going to feel. That's how your physical family works. That's how your spiritual family works, right? I mean, when, when, when this pandemic kicked in and, and got us all discombobulated, I think it taught us a lesson in how important the physical gathering is in the household of God. You know that those those gaps of time that went by. And unfortunately, today we have so many privileges. We could connect in so many different ways, virtually and things like that, but still there was just this disconnect that settled in to the church. But if you want to be a, a healthy family, right? It takes time and it takes sacrifice. And so that, that time is expressed through your presence. And so I, I wanted to conclude this sermon with, with just a few thoughts. Like a healthy family is a family that's present. And you're present you know, physically, psychologically, emotionally, all those different ways, spiritually. But it's a family that's present in those ways through the good times, the bad times, and even the ugly times. When you're present with your family in the good times, that's the funnest time to be a part of a family. When you're present with your family in the bad times, that's the most needed time to participate as a family. And when you're a part of a family in the ugly times, that's a crucial time to participate as a family. You know, I love participating in the good times with family life, and especially even in my spiritual family. Like when life is good, Paul says, celebrate with those who are celebrating. That's what he's what he teaches to the Romans when he writes the letter to them in Romans 12. Celebrate with those who are celebrating. It is an absolute joy to hear the good things. And so I, I get prayer concerns and things like that. Obviously, as a pastor, I love to get those things. I want to get those things. That's, that's part of my job is to help pray and care for spiritually. But I love getting the good things as well. This is happening in my life. It's an awesome thing. I love to celebrate those. You know, sometimes I feel like outside of your own family and outside of the your spiritual family, sometimes people hear good things going on in, in someone else's life, or they read about it in the, the social media feed, uh, feed or something, and they begin to get jealous, or they'll resent those things when good things happen to other people. They're, they'll covet those things, or roll their eyes at those things. But you don't do that with family. You no, know, when something, something happens in your family, some, something good happens in, in, the, in one of your family members' lives. You're ready to jump for joy, aren't you? It's a, such a blessing. When something good happens in in your family's life, you are so eager to celebrate, it makes you feel so good. And how about this, when something happens in your life that is good, what a blessing and what a joy it is to know that your family is happy for you. That they're genuinely happy and they're celebrating for you when something good happens. Ah, family's awesome. But when, when times are bad, that's when we really, really need family. Right after Paul says, celebrate with those are celebrating, he says, mourn with those who are mourning. Like, we can't stop the fact that life's going to get bad, no matter how hard we try. Your family's going to go through bad times. Your, your church family's going to go through bad times. Bad things are going to happen. We live in a fallen and broken world. We can't stop the bad from happening. And when those bad things start to happen, you know how it feels to be lonely in those situations. And it's your family that cancels out that feeling of loneliness. It's your family that's always got your back, and it's always there. Your physical family needs to be there. Your spiritual family needs to be there. But when life gets ugly, man, that's when it really, it's really, really crucial that you have family when life gets ugly. And life's gonna get ugly. You know, you think about... Uh, you know, when, when the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son that we all know off the top of our heads, when the, when, in the parable of the prodigal son, when he runs out of options, he squanders everything that he's had, he's been a total and complete idiot, he knows that he still has one possibility left. The one possibility of life is to go back to family. When, when life gets that ugly, whether it be your own doing or the doing of somebody else, you know you got one possibility left, I can go back I can go back to dad, and that's what he does. If I can just get a corner in in the barn to sleep in, that'll be great on dad's property. And of course, we know the story, dad greets him and throws a big celebration, because when it comes to the ugly times, family has a special tolerance for family, a special tolerance that maybe you only get from healthy family. You know, I can't guarantee that my sons aren't gonna grow up to be idiots, but I can guarantee this, if they do, and they come back home, I, I'm going to accept them right back home, no matter how big of an idiot the, they've been, right? I'll say, come here. I love you, you big idiot. And I'll give them a hug. You're welcome. Here, you're welcome here. We will take care of you here. That's what family does. You may have burnt your bridges with everybody else, but you can't burn this bridge. That's what family does. So here's the point. Here's the point. When the church is firing on all cylinders and behaving like we should and pitching in like we should and sacrificing sacrificing like we should, doing our part, you can provide concrete in people's lives who don't even have a family physically. Maybe they do have those daddy issues. Maybe they got those mommy issues. Maybe they have abandonment issues. They don't have any foundation there whatsoever when it comes to their physical family or it just comes and goes. I get it. Like I said, I've I've lived some of that stuff. But your church family, when they're firing on all cylinders, they can provide those mothers and fathers, those brothers and sisters, that you may or may not get in life. And that's because it sits on a foundation that's unbreakable. It sits on a foundation of concrete that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a foundation that we will set on into eternity. We take this family with us into eternity because it's made with the blood of Christ. That's how we are related. The blood of Christ is unbreakable. And it includes us into a family that gives us eternal purpose. But that purpose needs to kick in the gear right now in our lives right here. Feel that sacrifice. Look for the sacrifice as we imitate Christ. Let's make sure our brothers and sisters around us feel that sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for this awkward teaching. What an awkward moment it must have been when you maybe perhaps for a moment seemingly shunned your family. We know you weren't doing that. But you were taking a moment to teach, to emphasize that our family is greater than just our own physical flesh and blood. We know, Lord, that our family is bigger because of your blood, the atonement on the cross. Lord, I pray that we would feel that family. And we, we know, Lord, through your word that we feel that family when we imitate you. So, Lord, I pray that, that, that any conviction we feel this morning, I, Lord, I know is even as I put this sermon together, I think, boy, I haven't done enough. Boy, I haven't sacrificed enough. Boy, I, I'm, I have neglected family members in, in Christ. Lord, I, I think in some ways if we, if we don't feel that today, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe we're overconfident or not living in reality. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just take a teaching like this to beat ourselves up, but we would take a teaching like this to spur us on to action. Lord, I pray for this community right here. Lord, there are This this is a a household of brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. I pray that as we gather here, we would see those relationships for what they are. Valuable, worthwhile, worth our time, worth our presence. Lord, I pray that we would each sacrifice our time, talents, and treasures to invest in the family of God that you've blessed us with. Lord, I pray that we would just... Take this into our week, that we would work to expand and include people into this family by sharing your gospel. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe. We can't help but think of of those who are suffering in war zones right now. Uh, Lord, as they are in one of those ugly times, uh, Lord, we pray that they would feel loved and, and cared for as they rally around one another and support one another there. And Lord, may we be faithful to that extended family by praying for them and feel that responsibility too. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.